Okay, at this uh, time we're blessed to have our first message entitled The Yoke of Obedience by Mr. Reginald. All right. Interesting, I'll be talking about one of the most ancient uh, devices here today, but I'll be using high technology to do it. I'll, and Matt's threatened that the blue screen is going to go out of on me in the middle of the thing, so we'll see how that happens. All right, yoke of obedience, okay? It's very interesting that uh, since ancient Israel was primarily an agrarian society, God's prophet and the biblical writers often use farming metaphors to help to explain complex, abstract uh, spiritual concepts. The yoke was one such metaphor. Now, for all of you who are city slickers or young folk who've never seen such a yoke, even Mr. Gregory didn't recognize when I brought it in here for him, um, a yoke was a force multiplying device that was used to capture energy and strength and of animals and harness it to do work, although it's also used on human beings, particularly slaves, as a tool to multiply mechanical advantage. It's usually made of wood, and it consists of a crossbar with collars to, to go along for it. Help you out with that one. Here's your formal definition. And as you can see on the formal definition, that it is means does mean a bar or frame that's attached to the heads or necks of uh, two work animals, such as oxen, that so they can pull a heavy load. Uh, also, it, it can be used as a verb as well. And as a verb, it, it means to put together or to harness together, uh, either figuratively or literally, to attach an animal to it. Its origins date back to the etymology is uh, Middle English yoke. yoke. Uh, the, the, the G is, the G, let's see if I can find it again. There it is. Okay, the G here is actually pronounced as a Y sound. It's a, an old English yo. Uh, so it's a yoke as well, as well. First known, used well before the 12th century. All right, uh, let's see what they look like, though, because definitions are one thing. Here's uh, some pictures, all right? Uh, this is a picture of a single animal yoke and its use. As you see, back up, back up. Okay, and this, uh, this is the crossbar. This is the collar. Here are the attachments for the reins on each side. This is an, an example of a burrow uh, used in, in the yoke. Uh, to uh, drive a meal wheel in this case. Uh, here's another example. This is a double animal yoke. Notice that it has now two uh, uh, crossbar that's big enough to spread across two. Each of the harnesses go in here, the animal's head go in there. The uh, attachment to the, either the plow or the wagon is gone here. You still have the reins at each end at this point. Here's a pair of oxen that are yoked together with a plow. Okay, uh, yoke can also be used on human beings. Uh, here we have an example. Uh, Samson, you remember, was asked to turn a um, millstone. He was turning or hooked to a harness to a yoke in the millstone as he walked around this one. And here we have uh, slaves being transported uh, with a yoke to keep them in line and harnessed. And here is an example. I'm going to pull an Ian Hufton today. I'm going to bring a prop. Okay, this is a, an example of, I built a, of a, a human yoke that we have. So what you basically have is a long crossbar with two uh, balances on each end, and you can put the weights in the, in the end and then harness and carry both of them up at the same time. 
Okay? This way you have a force multiplier. You can lift a much heavier load with a yoke than you can individually. These were in common usage until the cherry pickers came into, into uh, 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 use with the uh, uh, construction industry. For uh, carpenters or roofers or, or bricklayers would often uh, put their loads on those and carry them up a ladder or something of this nature as well. So it was in very common usage until uh, recently when the cherry pickers have basically taken over. Okay, as like I said, the most common forms were the single and double yoke. The double yoke allowed the user to capture the combined forces of two animals and direct it toward a common purpose. The yoke uh, provided both control over the animal and as a means of maximizing the animal's work potential. Without a yoke, the animal might veer off to one side or the other or not travel straight forward thereby wasting some of its energy. But with a yoke, if the animal tried to turn to the left or the right, if we go back, to, here's the picture of the yoke. In this case, if the animal tried to turn to the left or the right, either way, the collar itself, uh, the collar, this one would press against his flesh and cause him a little bit of discomfort, a little bit of pressure, so it would come back and, and line up straight. Uh, it, the yoke was loose fitting, uh, so it did not cause injury to the animal, but it merely redirected his energy with general pressure if you actually happen to veer from the straight and narrow path. The yoke was most commonly used to plow a field, to haul loads on a wagon, to carry a load uh, balanced between two parts like I just demonstrated to you, or to turn a shaft in a mill. When it was used for plowing or for hauling, the driver would attach the reins to the yoke to control the direction of the animal uh, and, attach to, and attach the plow or the wagon tongue to that center ring that I just showed you to capture the energy of the wagon. Thus, with a simple tug of the reins, a driver could easily control animals much, much larger than he was. Understanding how this yoke worked, its purpose, and its uses will give us greater insight into uh, its use as a metaphor for God's guidance. Now, all yokes are burdens for beasts to carry, but compared with the size of the beast, the yoke is relatively small. But just as a small rudder can turn a mighty ship, so can a small yoke turn a mighty beast. Thus, with a yoke, a relatively small human, say of 80 to 150 pounds, can control animals that weigh thousands of pounds. Um, such as horses, oxen, donkeys, cattle, etc. Although some yokes are merely tools that multiply mechanical advantage, most yokes are yokes of obedience, designed to control and domesticate the thing, or as a man or a beast, that is yoked. It is a training, training tool that uses operant conditioning as its modality. Okay. Now, this is the lever itself. The, uh, the yoke is essentially a lever. Uh, the, any of you who worked with construction or like knows what a lever is. Anyone who's gone through physical science knows what a lever is. Uh, a yoke is essentially a lever with its fulcrum at the neck of the beast and the reins tied at the end of the yoke. The collar is mounted midway in between. When the driver tugs on the reins, the force is magnified proportional to the lever arms. Here are the lever arms, so the distance from here to here and the distance from here to here, they're in ratio, and that tells you how much force. So a small tug out here is a great force on this port right here, and it, and it makes the animal move in whatever direction you want to go. Uh, to avoid the... Uh, <coughs> 
When the driver hugs on the rein, that force is magnified proportional to the lever arm length and is transferred to the collar, which then presses against the neck and shoulders of the beast, putting unwanted pressure on the beast at these points. To avoid this pressure, <coughs> and again, it's not, uh, it's not, very pa it's not painful, it does, it's a loose-fitting yoke, it does not harm the beast in any way, but to, to avoid the pressure, the beast turns his head, and, go, and, and as goes the head, so goes the body. Thus a small bo boy could even turn a team of yoked oxen. The yoke also keeps the animals walking straight, for otherwise they, they would try to turn their heads, and as the, as the head goes again, so goes the animal. Um, the animal always takes the path of least resistance and walks straight ahead uh, unless uh, walks straight ahead and that's why it keeps the, the, the yoke is a domesticating device used to using pain and pleasure as a conditioning tool. Now, many women are already well familiar with this technique. Okay, pain and pleasure. They are, uh, uh, they're familiar with this strategy as they commonly use it to domesticate their husbands during the first couple of years of marriage. Men who may quite honestly be beastly before the wedding day will become civilized and compliant before the end of the honeymoon year uh, if the marriage is going to uh, last. Many men... <coughs> Many men will st uh, still actually believe that they, as husbands, are actually making the major decisions for the household, but we all know that the wife is just letting him believe that those decisions are his idea, male ego being as fragile as it is. But I, I digress. Or do I? Uh, so back to the yoke. Uh, speaking of marriage, the yoke... Um, allows the driver to marry the combined pulling power of two beasts under a single yoke. However, these beasts, uh, yeah, here's the double yoke. So this is what the double yoke, you put two animals in here, and then something really interesting happens because then each, uh, each fulcrum shifts to the neck of the other beast. So for this beast, the fulcrum is on this one, and for this beast, the fulcrum is on this one. So you have a resistance arm here and the, uh, the effort arm here. So a little bit of a tug on this one puts a great pressure on that one. So that's uh, how that one works. You might think that a team of oxen would veer in the direction of the more powerful beast, but in actuality, it's the weaker beast that uh, becomes a drag on the stronger beast and causes him to veer in the direction of the weaker beast in order to avoid the pain or pressure, pressure caused by the combined yoke. For that reason, two beasts yoked together should be of near equal strength and power, lest we end up with crooked paths and de uh, crooked roads and deviant paths. Think about that. Second uh, Corinthians 6 warns us. Do not be unequally yoked together with uh, unbelievers. By the way, I, when I was doing the research for this one, I saw a cartoon that had two eggs in a frying pan. Uh, one, the yolk took up nearly the whole, whole uh, uh, surface of the egg, and the, and the caption read, I'm sorry, the preacher says we can't marry. We're unequally yoked. Okay, the, the yoke's on me, as it was a moment ago. <laughs> All right. Uh, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what fellowship does righteousness have with lawlessness, and what partnership does light have with darkness? And what agreement does ha Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer ha 
Uh, what part does a believer have with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And uh, therefore come out of, from among them and be separated, says the Lord. And do not touch that unclean thing uh, I will receive from you. And I will be father to you and you shall be my sons and my daughters. Now here the apostle Paul is using the double yoke as a metaphor for our joining together or aligning ourselves with non-believers whose core beliefs or values do not mesh well with our own or with scripture. I have often heard these, voices, these verses used as a prohibition against interracial marriage, but the context does not judge, justify this limited bigotry. Rather, it's Paul's advice is warning us against any partnership with non-believers. Further, I noticed that there's a quantifier in verse 14, unequally, and as I've explained already, if two beasts are of different strengths are yoked together, then the cart or the partnership will veer in the direction of the weaker beast. So whichever, if you join yourself with someone that's weaker than you are, then you're going to end up veering off in the direction of that weaker person as well. Okay. Uh, where else and how else does scripture use metaphors? The yoke was used as a counting unit in many cases. You simply, every two, you would have two animals yoked together, so it would have so many yoke of oxen, would be counting them in pairs, effectively. Um, here in Job uh, 1, 3, we see there are 500 uh, yoke of oxen. Oops, wrong one. Okay, there are 500 yoke of oxen. Down here, we have uh, 1,000 yoke of oxen when it was double. This was before his trials, and this was after when, when God restored to him double every amount that he had before. Okay, even in the New Testament, uh, I have bought five, five yoke of oxen. So it could be used as a counting unit as well. Uh, today, we might count them the same way. Uh, today, we might count how many married couples are in the house. A married couple consists of one husband and one wife or at least it used to, uh, a couple is simply a convenient way of counting uh, pairings, full, fully acknowledging that the actual number of people counted is twice the number of couples. The yoke is most commonly used, though, as an image of slavery, of bondage, and of subjugation. Many slaves were literally yoked to do wagons or the millstones to harness their manpower, while others carried a yoke around their necks or shoulders to lift heavy burdens, like I demonstrated. So the yoke became an image that represents all of slavery. A yoke becomes an image of slavery and controlled by another person inherent in that slavery. Conversely, breaking of the yoke was an, an image of freedom regained. A yoke of iron um, is one that is particularly harsh. God describes the captivity of Israel when they rejected uh, his way as the imposition of a yoke of iron upon their neck. That, yoke was, that the yoke was made of iron um, implies that the slavery would be particularly harsh and not easily broken. It's listed for us in Deuteronomy. Uh, 28:14. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies, which Jehovah shall send against you in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in lack of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. Yet at other times, interestingly enough, uh, we see God commanding Israel and other nations to submit to a yoke. For example, to submit to the yoke of Babylon. Uh, let's see that in, in Jeremiah. 
By the way, this is one of the things we're studying right now in our Bible study. You might come and join us on Tuesday nights. I have, uh, this is Jeremiah 27, 5 to 12. I have made the earth man and animals on the face of the earth by my great power, by my outstretched arm, I, and have given it to whom I whom seem right to me. And now I have given all these lands into the land of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and have also given him the beast of the field to serve him. And all the nations shall serve him, and his son, and his king's son, until time of his own land... Uh, until the time of his own land comes. And then many nations and great kings shall enslave him. And it shall be the nations and the kingdom which will not serve the king of the uh, same, will, will not serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and that will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of the Babylon. And that nation will I punish, says Jehovah, says the sword and with, uh, with the famine and with the sword. Sorry, with the sword and with the famine, with the plague, until I have destroyed them out of out of his, by his hand. As for you, oops, next part. I had to break this up in pieces in order. Yeah. As as for you, do not listen to your prophets, nor your fortune tellers, nor to your dreamers, nor your conjurers, or your sorcerers who speak to you, say, you shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie unto you to remove you from their land, and, for I shall, uh, and, that, and that I shall drive you out, and you shall perish. But the nations who break the neck... But the nations who bring their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, those will I leave in their own land, says Jehovah. And they shall work, work it, and they shall dwell in it. And I uh, also spoke unto Zedekiah, king of Ju Judah, according to these words, saying, Bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, and his people will live. In this case, what was happening is bringing yourselves under the submission of the king of Babylon was a basically a guarantee of safety until, for that 70-year period until they were able to overcome. However, this curse is fulfilled when the 70 years of Babylon, uh, when, the, when severity, sorry, um, his curse is fulfilled with severity when Babylon takes uh, Israel captive. Babylon abused the power that God gave her, and thus speaking to Babylon, God says, I was angry with my people. I have polluted my inheritance, given them over into your hand. You showed them no mercy. You have uh, very heavily laid your yoke upon the aged. So it's one thing to put someone under the yoke. It's another one to put them under the yoke and abuse that power. So, enter in, who are you going to call? Jehovah, the yoke buster. Uh, he's our liberator, our freedom. Uh, throughout most of scripture, God, interesting, plays the role of yoke breaker or liberator. Come to set the captives free. In fact, one aspect of uh, God's atonement for the day of Jubilee when, is the place when the captives are set free. Um, Isaiah 58, 6 um, is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressive ones go free, that you may break every yoke? 
So God is a yoke breaker. He is a liberator, one who sets the captive free. Time after time, Israel forsakes God and pursues their own agenda only to end up in trouble and in captivity under another nation's yoke. Then she cries out to God, who hears her, and he, uh, and he comes to rescue her from her oppressors. But he admonishes her first to acknowledge and repent of the source of her devastation, to realize that he has offered her a, a gentle, gentler yoke of instruction. But she had rejected him, but that she had rejected his guidance and wander off without rain. Uh, here is, for example, um, Jeremiah 2, 17, 20. Have you not brought this on yourself in that you have forsaken Jehovah your God? Um, and now what is it? What is for you toward the uh, way of uh, Egypt to drink the waters of uh, Sihar or to, for you toward Assyria to drink the waters of the river, Euphrates? Uh, your evil shall correct you, your backsliding shall reprove you, you shall know and see that there is an evil, bitter thing that you have forsaken this, uh, the Jehovah your God, that my fear is in you, say, uh, says the Lord Jehovah. For long ago I broke for long ago, you broke your own yoke, effectively, and tore up your own bonds. And you said, I, shall not, I will not tread transgress uh, when on every high hill and under every green tree you lay like a harlot. So he, they broke off their own yoke, effectively, saying, I will not transgress. But at the same time, you find them out in the countryside celebrating these pagan uh, uh, gods and goddesses in the groves. Yet God still comes to a rescue. Here comes God, the yoke buster again. I am Jehovah, uh, uh, Leviticus 26, 13. I am Jehovah your God who brought you forth out of the land of Egypt from being under bondsmen and have trodden the bonds on your yoke and made you a goat walk upright. That's the first deliverance of them. Then he had a deliverance from Assyria. In Assyria, we see, and it shall be in that day that his, the Assyrian's burden, shall be taken away from off your shoulder and his uh, yoke from off your neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. The anointing there, of course, is Christ. Um, Isaiah 14, uh, 24 to 25, Jehovah of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely, as I have thought, so shall it come to pass. As I have proposed, it shall stand. To break Assyria in my land, on my mountains, to trample him underfoot, then his yoke shall be removed from them, and his burden shall be taken off their shoulders. Then came Babylon. Mm -hmm. Babylon, exile, 70 years in Babylon. It was to be a long captivity, 70 years in length, long enough that God, through the prophet Isaiah, told the people of Israel to accept the captivity as protection, to settle down, to have family, so they could live to have peace another day. Or so, uh, in fact, in this one you'll find that God actually has them write it in a book. And you know, whenever God tells you to write it in a book, that it's not going to happen next week. It's going to happen further down the road, a good way, many years down the road. So it says uh, Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7. Okay. Um, so says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I caused to be exiled from Jerusalem and Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit, take wives and father your sons and daughters uh, that take... 
so, uh, take wives for your sons and give daughters for your husband so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be multiplied there and not become a few. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be exiled and pray to Jehovah for it, for its peace you shall receive. Okay. And the second part of this passage. For so says Jehovah, when according to my word, 70 years have been fulfilled for Babylon, I will visit you and confirm my good word to you and bring you back to this place. For I know the purposes for which I am purposing you, says Jehovah. Purposes of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you shall call on me and you shall go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you shall seek me and find me and you shall uh, Search me with all of your heart, and I will be found by you, says Jehovah. I will turn away all, uh, all your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says Jehovah. And I will bring you again unto the place where, uh, where I caused you to be exiled. Okay. Some yokes are uh, easier to bear than others. Some of them are simply uh, burdens only. Uh, for example... Um, Solomon was a great, I'm going to skip some of this, I'm going to summarize some of this for you. Uh, you can find the, the references to this story in 1 Kings 12 and 2 Chronicles 10. The story is that after Solomon's reign, uh, the people, uh, Rehoboam ascended to the throne, the people uh, pleaded for him to remove the burden, the tax burden that they had that Solomon had placed on him, and instead, Rehoboam says, you think his was hard? Mine's going to be uh, much worse. Let me go to the last scripture on this one. Okay, look, uh, look at the last scripture on this one. This is, uh, this is a passage from 1 Kings 12. And now my father loaded you with a heavy yoke, and I will add to your yoke. My father has whipped you with whips, but I will chasten you with scorpions. Chastise you with scorpions. The yoke here... The yoke is used as a metaphor for taxes in Acts 15.10, for example, we see. Therefore, why do you tempt God by putting a yoke on your neck? Uh, the disciples, the yoke that neither your fathers nor we are able to bear. This yoke was the yoke of uh, circumcision of um, adult males who attempted to enter, uh, or were be gentle convert, Gentile converts entering the church. Okay, that's something that not even the Israelites would bear. That's a yoke of punishment, of, of, of oblig obligation that they wouldn't even bear. Okay, <clears throat> but neat thing is, my Redeemer lives. Fortunately for us, the same God of the Old Testament, because became the Jesus of the New Testament and is, is still our yoke buster. He's still the yoke buster, now liberating us from the bondage of sin. Paul tells us in Corinthians, stand fast therefore in the liberty which, God has, uh, which Christ has made us free and do not be again held in with the yoke of bondage. This is a yoke of our own making. It is a yoke of our own making. It is, um, as Jeremiah laments, this yoke is a yoke of bondage that is not imposed upon us from without, but is one of our own construction. For it is our own sins that form this crossbar and collars. Um, Lamentations 114, uh, the yoke of my transgression is bound by his hand. 
Notice it is the yoke of my transgressions. So it is his own sins that is forming this yoke. And Paul affirms this later in Romans 7, um, 21, uh, 23. I find it a law then when I do right, evil is present with me. I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity. Again, that's that idea of bondage, of yoke to captivity to the law of sin being in my members. Apparently, we human beings, oops, this thing goes too fast. All right, uh, we human beings have to learn things the hard way, especially those of us who are a bit stiff-necked, kind of stiff-necked here. Uh, indeed, we find the yoke comforting. Some of us actually find yokes comforting, like sleeping under a blanket on a summer night. There's no need to be under a blanket on a summer night, but there's something about the blanket that gives us comfort, that gives us security. We don't really need it for warmth, but we would feel exposed and vulnerable without it. The blanket gives us comfort, just so some of us feel more comfortable with a yoke of restrictions and rules and responsibilities that come with freedom. We place extra restrictions on ourselves that God never intended, such as restrictions on food, on movement, on washings, on associations, on other pharisaical limitations, perhaps maybe to feel more righteous, perhaps just for the comfort and familiarity of that warm blanket of conformity and congeniality. Likewise, this yoke of sins through which we have been in bondage for so many years has become more comfortable than the freedom that is afforded us through Christ and the breaking of that yoke of bondage. Christ would have us take on his gentler yoke. He says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest in your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Further, even though Christ has liberated us from our yoke of sin, we may still experience what I'll call a phantom yoke. A phantom yoke, much like a soldier with an amputated leg may still experience an itchy toe. While Christ has broken the yoke of bondage off of our necks, of our stiff necks, we may still feel the effects of our sins upon our lives long after he has broken and set us free. In our habits, in our attitudes, in our behavior, so that like Paul, we find ourselves doing exactly what we don't want to do. Um, as we do that part. There is a future yoke of captivity. Uh, you can read about that in um, Jeremiah 30, one of our things, studies that we've been doing recently, uh, 2 through 6 and 7 through 10. I'm going to go ahead and skip to my conclusion now. Uh, we are all under some kind of yoke of obedience, whether it is a physical yoke or the oppressive yoke of tyranny or military dictatorship or the bureaucratic yoke of government or the economic yoke of a job or the social yoke of a family or the guilt yoke of our own sins or the lawful yoke of Christ. And while we may not have much choice concerning the external yokes that are placed upon us, we do have a choice between the two physical yokes, the yoke of sin or the yoke of Christ. Get to that one. It's our choice. It's our choice. Deuteronomy 30, 19 through 20. I call heaven and earth to, to record today against you. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life 
so that both you and your seed may live, so that you may love Jehovah your God, and that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and so, uh, so that you may dwell in the land that Jehovah swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to give it to them. But as Christ warns us, we cannot support both. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. So, let us be receptive, then, to the um, guidance and the yoke of Christ, to turn at, at his tug on the reins. Um, look at what uh, Jeremiah 31 says. Jeremiah 31. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus. Thus thou hast chastened me, and I, I was chastened. And as a bullock is unaccustomed to the yoke, turn me, and I shall be turned. So he's saying, turn me, God. This yoke is on me. Your guidance is on me. Turn me, and I shall be turned. For thou art the Lord my God. As surely at that, after that I was turned, I repented, and that I, as I was instructed, I smote upon my side. I was ashamed, I, yea, I was even confounded, because I did not bear the approach of my youth. So, let us repent then, and accept the, the yoke of Christ, lest we end up in a ditch. No blue screen, Matt.